Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review, also the author of Between Two Scorpions. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. All of it brought to you by Honey. You gotta like honey. Unless, of course, you don't like saving money, because to get this on your computer, it's completely free. It only takes two clicks, and you can save a lot of money, especially over time. Joinhoney.com slash martini. Much more on that in just a moment. So, Jim, it's obvious that New York Democratic Senator Kirsten Gillibrand listens to the three martini lunch, <laughs> reads the morning jolt, and your posts on the corner. Because earlier this week, We were saying, why aren't you leaving this presidential race? No one wants to vote for you, and you're pretty much out of money. And guess what? Once she officially did not qualify for next month's next round of Democratic presidential debates, Senator Gillibrand has indeed decided that she is no longer running for president. So her 0.6% of support is leaving. She's taken it home with her. She's taken all those $30 T-shirts with her. You can probably still get them, but they're probably not a dollar anymore. Uh, Jim, this is good on a number of fronts. She was going nowhere, and she recognized that, which is not easy for politicians. And number two, this is actually kind of a nice rebuke, even inside the Democratic Party, of people who are obviously pandering to get your support. Yeah. With Gillibrand now out of the race, you can probably look to a whole bunch of other candidates and say, okay, what's your excuse? <laughs> what, what's holding you back, Michael Bennett? You know, most of these candidates are, there are three really top-tier candidates. Biden, Warren, and Sanders. After that, Kamala Harris was in that first tier for a while. She's kind of dropped back. You could probably argue that, uh, you know, she's got a, it's not impossible that she could win it. Not looking as good as it did a little while ago. Buttigieg, generally in fifth in most polls and very impressive fundraising numbers. Polling support, not quite as impressive. Really having a tough time closing the sale with African-American voters. But hey, you know, there's, there's time. We can see what happens. After that, it starts getting like really slim pickings. By a whole bunch of measures, Andrew Yang is in sixth place. I repeat again, Andrew (laughs) Yang, who the first time he came out on stage, you know, on the debate stage, there were a bunch of people watching, you know, people who follow politics were like, who is Andrew Yang? And then there's this attitude of like, oh, maybe they just left the stage door open and people are wandering (laughs) in from outside. Uh, But hey, you know, Andrew Yang can have his head held high. He's at 3%. Nobody expected him to do anything. So, hey, it's all gravy for here on out. Good for him. But with Gillibrand, you know, this is somebody who really was touted as a rising star of the party. And I try to write about this at length, but with at least a little bit of sympathy here uh, in the recognition that if you look at Kirsten Gillibrand's life story, I mean, I, I, you know, really get irritated when somebody gives this idea that she was, you know, humble, middle-class upbringings. No, no, no. Her grandmother ran the, the Albany political machine. Went to the best private school. and she, she was fine. But basically, she did all the things you were supposed to do as an as a ambitious young person. She got into Dartmouth. That's a really good Ivy League school. Studied abroad in both China and Taiwan. She speaks Chinese. Um, she got into UCLA Law School. She got a whole bunch of other uh, prominent clerkships. Got hired. You know, like up until about like the mid-30s, you know, if, if your child had done what Kirsten Gillibrand did, you'd say, well, I'm very proud of my daughter. Look at everything she's done. The thing is, is that this kind of like super hyper meritocratic top of the class gold star, this is the persona that got all of the Tracy Flick comparisons from that 1990s movie election. And there's something kind of 
uh, if, if you don't finesse it right, it can be kind of grating. Um, and also, you, you look at, it's interesting you make the comparison to Boudet Edge, Mr. Harvard, Oxford, McKinsey Consulting. I don't know if the electorate nat naturally gravitates towards people like that. There is kind of this, I don't know if you want to say it's unctuous or, or you, know, you might take a look at Ted Cruz, you know, Princeton, and people who are indisputably bright, great lawyers or, or other, uh, you know, extremely accomplished academically don't always have that common touch to talk to, you know, people who don't have that kind of life experience. Or maybe there's just a natural inherent wariness about that sort of uh, a person with that kind of experience. I don't know, just kind of an observation that a lot of people in that elite New York City, Manhattan media circles, Democratic Party circles looked at Kirsten Gillibrand. And you can go back and check. You can check the Vogue's, the CQ's, the Politico's, all these magazines that did profiles of her and said, yes, this is the one we've been waiting for. She is exactly the rising star that the Democrats have been craving. And I think we can safely say, no, <laughs> no, not at all. She was, you know, um, particularly unpersuasive. And I think in the end of it, it came down to insincerity. She had changed her positions on so many issues so fast, particularly when she went from the House to the Senate, that a lot of people looked at her and said, well, yeah, she says the right things now. But uh, in the end, it's basically just pure ambition there. Maybe it's a little bit mean to Gillibrand, but, um, you know, I think she's probably feeling pretty humbled right now. And I think that um, there's probably a lesson here that a whole bunch of other candidates, both Democrats and Republicans, should consider when it's, they look in the mirror and says, ah, I am sure the American people are clamoring for a candidate like me. Probably not. So Gillibrand's out of the race. Do you know who's still around? Ranch salad dressing. Remember that lady <laughs> at the bar? <laughs> Ranch could carry the Iowa caucuses easily. <laughs> Change your name, candidates. We just got to get it on the ballot. Schmidlap's out too, right? Or no? What do we know about no, Schmidlap? No, I have not, not seen any indication that Schmidlap is leaving the race. Okay, excellent. He's plugging away. So uh, we'll find out if he can get to that next threshold. I know the threshold gets higher, but uh, he keeps plugging away. Doesn't make a lot of noise about it, but I think he's quietly making some contacts uh, in some of the most important parts of Iowa and New Hampshire. We'll find out. Yeah, I, I haven't seen anything indicates there's been any drop in Schmidlap's support. All right. Speaking of uh, important numbers, Schmidlap may have not made the debate. We know Gillibrand didn't make the debate, but uh, your bottom line is also a very important number. And anytime you can save money, that's a good thing. And especially when you can find ways for free to save money, it's even better. And that's where honey comes in. If you ever buy anything online, only to find out later you've missed a discount, you kind of kick yourself, right? Especially if it could have been a big discount. Well, Honey is a free browser add-on that finds us the best deals online. The app magically auto-applies the best deal to our carts at checkout. Honey finds discounts and coupons across 37,000 sites. That's a lot of sites. That includes Amazon, Sephora, Best Buy, Nordstrom, Nike, Expedia, Groupon, Forever 21, Adidas, Macy's, even Pizza Hut. It's not just uh, for people who are going out shopping. It's also working for businesses, too. Like I mentioned just yesterday, uh, my friend here, Rich McFadden, one of my bosses at Radio America, he found out about this, and he says it's just a fantastic product and the best way to save money without any extra effort on your part to find different discounts or sales. This thing does it for you. He says, as the primary Amazon purchaser for our company, I don't have time to search the net for coupons and comparing pricing. Honey is a gift for managers who want to make sure they are getting the best price, but don't have all day to compare shop on the web. Honey does it for me. So there you go, Jim. Honey could not be easier. You know, Honey has saved its 10 million members an average of $28.61. 
Honey members have already saved more than $800 million altogether. Not bad for something that's completely free and takes just two clicks to install. Honey has more than 100,000 five-star reviews on the Google Chrome store, and Time Magazine calls Honey, quote, basically free money, unquote. So look, there's really no reason not to use Honey. It's free, as we've mentioned a bunch of times. It's free to use and easy to install on your computer, literally just two clicks. So shop with confidence. Get Honey for free. All you have to do is go to joinhoney.com slash martini. Joinhoney.com slash martini. Honey, the smart shopping assistant that saves you time and money when you're shopping online. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now, but I admitted to you before we started here, I'm really kind of enjoying the ego trip uh, of Jim Comey uh, this morning. Let's start with the uh, bad news, because the top official at the FBI was not conducting himself properly, according to the inspector general. This is from The Hill. The Justice Department watchdog on Thursday released a scathing report stating that former FBI director James Comey violated bureau policies and his employment agreement with his handling of official memos detailing his interactions with President Trump, one of which contained classified information. Quote, we conclude that Comey's retention, handling and dissemination of certain memos violated department and FBI policies and his FBI employment agreement. The Justice Department Inspector General report states noting that, quote, much of the content of the memos was directly tied to FBI investigative activities, unquote. Uh, While Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz declined to make a recommendation as to whether to charge the former FBI chief, he said Comey broke FBI policies by seeking to share unauthorized information about ongoing investigations with a friend who then gave it to the New York Times two months after Comey's removal. He also refuted Comey's claims that his memos were not FBI records but personal recollections, stating that the director was operating in an official capacity and that he acknowledged in his FBI employment agreement that, quote, all information acquired by Comey in connection with his official duties with the FBI remains the property of the United States of America. Quote, former director Comey failed to live up to this responsibility, according to the 83-page report, by not safeguarding sensitive information obtained during the course of his FBI employment and by using it to create public pressure for official action. Comey set a dangerous example for the over 35,000 current FBI employees and the many thousands more former FBI employees who similarly have access to or knowledge of non-public information. So that's a massive smackdown. Comey has replied on Twitter today, Jim. He says, DOJ found no evidence that Comey or his attorneys released any of the classified information contained in any of the memos to members of the media. And he says, I don't need a public apology from those who defamed me, but a quick message with a sorry we lied about you would be nice. And to all those who have spent two years talking about me going to jail or being a liar and a leaker, ask yourselves why you still trust people who gave you bad info for so long, including the president. Jim, the moxie of this guy. Yeah, uh, it really is something you get this smacked down by the IG and your first response is, see, I'm the victim. <laughs> um, the section that jumps out at me, and I think I want to, everybody kind of knows what we think of Comey. Um, everybody's sick of his, I'm the last Boy Scout in Washington. I'm the last guy who stands for truth and justice in the American way. And I'm, you know, DC is this cesspool, but you can trust me, yada, yada, yada. There's one section of the IG report that really kind of jumps out at me. It's towards the end where it says, Comey disclosed the contents of Memo 4 in an attempt to force the department to take official investigative actions to appoint a special counsel and preserve any tapes as evidence. In short, Comey had interacted with 
Trump didn't like what he was hearing, didn't like what he was saying, and believed that a special counsel had to be appointed. The report goes on and says, when asked by the Office of the Inspector General whether he considered that the disclosure of this information would significantly affect FBI equities, Comey stated that he would, quote, frame it differently, unquote. He said that he viewed the issue as one of, quote, incredible importance to the nation as a whole, and told us that he felt that taking action was, quote, something I had to do if I loved this country. And I love the Department of Justice, and I love the FBI, unquote. And the report goes on to say, look, however, Comey's own personal conception of what was necessary was not an appropriate basis for ignoring the policies and agreements governing the use of FBI records, especially given the other lawful and appropriate actions he could have taken to achieve his desired end. What makes Comey so astonishingly blind is when he says this, he's basically saying, look, I know what I agreed to. I know what I swore an oath to do. I know what I promised. I know what the rules were. I know what the law was. But this was really important. <laughs> and I felt like I really had to do this for the greater good. And what's astonishingly blind about Comey is he's like, that's what every single leaker thinks. That's what everybody who makes some, who breaks the law in one form, almost everybody who breaks the law in one form or another is utterly good. Edward Snowden is totally convinced he's doing the right thing when he revealed all that information. Um, everybody can figure out some this, this is what makes being a good person challenging. It's, you know, yes, we have, you know, capacity for evil, but thankfully I think most human beings are not evil who run around trying to hurt people or something like that. I think most people are in a situation where what they personally want conflicts with what they are, you know, morally obligated to do, or they find themselves in a difficult choice. You know, I swore I was never going to leak any of this information. I promised. I, I also, I'm the FBI director. I have an obligation and a responsibility to set a role model. If I say it's okay to break the rules in this particular situation, lots of other people are going to say, oh, well, okay, well, that means I can break the rules in this, in, when I see a situation that strikes me as similar to this. Comey looked at this moment where he's like, oh, clearly, look, I, I don't, I'm not surprised he didn't like what he was seeing with Trump. You know, it was pretty self-evident from, you know, the moment Trump came down the escalator, if not earlier. But the president of the United States has a good reason to believe that when he talks to the FBI director, the FBI director is not going to turn around and then say, what do you, you know, give his version of that conversation to the national media. You know, this is what executive privilege is supposed to be about, right? That people are supposed to be able to speak to the president and the president is, you know, is entitled to a certain amount of privacy a certain amount of recognition that you know, what he has in those conversations, if it's confidential, it's going to stay confidential. And good heavens, if it's got classified information, you'd think that conversation would not get immediately leaked. Comey had these conversations, really didn't like what he was hearing from Trump and decided, you know what? America's got to know about this. At the very least, if you're going to do that, you should resign. At the very least, you should resign and you should say, I can't do this job anymore. Uh, we talked yesterday about James Mattis, and I think you can safely say that that's something akin to the path Mattis took, that he tried to serve under Trump, did it as long as he could. When the differences became too strong for him to be able to overlook, ignore, or work around, he said, you know what, Mr. President, I'm out. And now he's writing his book, and he's, you know, he's not outright denouncing the president, but, you know, as we discussed yesterday, you read between the lines, it's not hard to get a sense of what James Mattis thinks of President Trump. Comey had that option. Comey could have gone to the FBI inspector general and other things and said, look, these are the things the president is doing. I think they're getting in the neighborhood of criminal action. We need somebody to look into this and I should, be, I should not be the one doing it. Comey didn't do that because he believed that he knew better. And in the end, you know, talk about getting high on your own supply. James Comey believed his press clippings. He believed his own reputation. He believed 
that he was the last moral person and that because he had such sterling judgment and such impeccable conscience that he himself knew when it was okay to break the rules of the FBI. And that's an extraordinarily dangerous mentality, whether or not James Comey can recognize that. Wow. Here's something else James Comey's not going to like. He's a lot like Trump in this, because when the Mueller report came out, what did Trump say, of course? Total exoneration. Total exoneration. No obstruction, no collusion. And Comey was one of the first people out there going, hey, just because they didn't recommend charges on obstruction doesn't mean you're exonerated. And so here we go with the IG report. Comey did all of this stuff wrong, but we're not going to make a formal recommendation on prosecution. Totally exonerated. What a guy. Yeah, but remember, he's a good guy. Trump's a bad guy. <laughs> Greg, do you ever get that, you know, I'm thinking of that movie, um, Aliens versus Predator? Although some would argue that in that movie that they kind of copped out by making the Predator the good guy and the Aliens the threat. But I guess I saw that movie. It was okay. <laughs> I didn't pay money. I can't say that I can speak intelligently about Aliens versus Predator, but uh, hey. No one can speak intelligently <laughs> about that movie, Greg. <laughs> but Die Hard's great. Uh, on to the crazy martini now. And this played out over a couple of nights on MSNBC. You're forgiven if you didn't watch it. Not that many people do. Lawrence O'Donnell, he was on, let's see, this would have been Tuesday night. And he tweets out just uh, before his show starts, a source close to Deutsche Bank says Trump's tax returns show he pays very little income tax. And more importantly, that his loans have Russian co-signers. If true... If true, that explains every kind word Trump has ever said about Russia and Putin. So then he goes and talks about it on his show. One of his booking producers over at MSNBC actually tweets out, yeah, Deutsche Bank is not confirming this. They say the one source that Lawrence O'Donnell is citing here has not actually seen the bank records, and neither has anyone at MSNBC. So not surprisingly, some folks at NBC News had a little chat with Larry yesterday. And as he went on a show yesterday... This was his approach to the story. Last night on this show, I discussed information that wasn't ready for reporting. I repeated statements a single source told me about the president's finances and loan documents with Deutsche Bank, saying, if true, as I discussed the information, was simply not good enough. I did not go through the rigorous verification and standards process here at MSNBC before repeating what I heard from my source. Had it gone through that process, I would not have been permitted to report it. I should not have said it on air or posted it on Twitter. I was wrong to do so. This afternoon, attorneys for the president sent us a letter asserting the story is false. They also demanded a retraction. Tonight, we are retracting the story. We don't know whether the information is inaccurate, but the fact is we do know it wasn't ready for broadcast. And for that, I apologize. So, Jim, the good news is here that there's a lot of blowback for really shoddy journalism there. Apparently, rigorous uh, reporting at NBC also requires someone actually seeing the thing that you're saying is true. So uh, what do you make of uh, this whole saga? Put it another way, Greg, this information in this report was not up to the veracity and verification standards of Brian Williams and the rest <laughs> of the First of all, I guess we should give a little bit credit. I mean, that was a full-on apology. That was a full-on yeah. apology, full retraction. I could quibble a bit with the, we do not know if the report is inaccurate. Also, another one saying, we do not know if the report is accurate. Um, but when this first came out, and there were some people flipping out about this on Twitter 
Greg, you know, first of all, I was like, God, is MSNBC in reruns? Are, are we still doing this Russia thing? The second thing was like, so somebody's got this information. And so the gist was that Russia was co-signing his loans or something like that. This was some way of- Oligarchs. Know, oligarchs, right? So backdoor way of, of, you know, people connected to Putin helping out Trump earlier in his life. So, uh, so Mueller missed this, right? I mean, like two years of investigation, hundreds of pages, in-depth, all that. Oh, totally forgot this? Really? It didn't really pass the smell test that much to begin with. Secondly, like, let's say you're some banker and you, you've, you've seen Trump's loans. You've seen the papers. You know who co-signed them. And you're like, oh, my goodness, it's Russian oligarchs. Good heavens, this could be how Putin has leverage over Trump. Um, and you've got, you know, some really scandalous information about the president of the United States. You call up Lawrence O'Donnell? Really? That's the first guy? You, you don't, you know, not Jake Tapper? Not somebody who's, you know... That's something got a little bit more of a, you know, it's like, I kind of like saying, well, okay, correction. Maybe that person leaked it to Luis Mensch first. <laughs> uh, maybe Jen Rubin or somebody. I haven't read her a lot. You know, like somehow O'Donnell gets this information. Fine. Greg, NCIS is still on the air. I used to really like that show. You know, you have, uh, you know, Gibbs being gruff and whacking Dinozo on the back of the head and, you know, Ziva's kicking butt. And one by one, you see the cast members leaving and they're getting older and they bring in the new ones. The new ones aren't as good. I keep waiting for um, what's his name to talk to his tools because he was the hand of Handy Manny. (laughs) Gibbs does every scene of working on his boat in the basement. So at some point, he's got to say, good job, tools. Um, But NCIS is coming back for, I think, the 384th season or something. I don't know. And at one point, you're like, you know, this, this has run a little too long. It was really good at the time. Really exciting, really captivating, kept your interest, and it's still on the air. And it, everybody, you know, look, we've, we've seen everything we need to see from these characters. Job well done, everybody. Go home, go do other things with your lives, and enjoy all the millions of dollars we made from this. That's kind of how I feel about the Russia investigation. <laughs> this was a great show. We were all on the edge of our seats. Kind of, you know, they, they lousy ending, but you know that happens to a lot of shows. <laughs> I, it's, it's too early for a reboot. You can't cast it with new characters. Um, there was something weird and desperate about that. Wait, we found something that points to the Russia connection. Mueller's, got, Mueller's retirement. He's sitting on a beach somewhere, guys. <laughs> and my whole thing was that there was no, like, I didn't want to hear this argument. You know, the whole time we we're seeing played by Robert De Niro on Saturday Night Live. And, you know, he's always he's that ultimate tough guy. You know, And then he comes back and he doesn't come up empty with it. I didn't want people suddenly reinventing Mueller to say, oh, you know, he's, he's Mr. Magoo. Ah, uh, there's, you know, he's Inspector Clouseau. There's no way he was going to find it. That's basically what the, you know, from anything from O'Donnell and anybody else is like, look, Mueller just didn't look hard enough. Here's the evidence that points to our, you know, terrible spirit that uh, Trump is a Russian agent and Putin's his handler. And again, good for the apology. I hope O'Donnell learned something from this. I hope MSNBC learned something from this. But um, Greg, I'm not counting on it. You know how he should have known it was dubious from the start? is when he was uh, in, in show transition from Rachel Maddow to his show, and he was starting to talk about it. And you could tell from the look on her face, she was thinking either this is not true or you really shouldn't be talking about this right now. When even Rachel Maddow is not buying your liberal fantasy, you might want to slow down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't she have, like, we've got the tax returns. Yes. And it was, like, six pages of a tax return from, like, the 1980s. Right. Yeah. And I was all like, yeah, here's his income. Yeah. <laughs> there really wasn't a, like, you know, uh, there, there wasn't anything all that shocking about it. 
again, I guess this is what we've been conditioned to expect from MSNBC primetime. Jim, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do not forget to visit our friends over at Honey and start saving money for free. Join honey.com slash martini and tune in again Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch.